We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments this morning. The title of the message is Live with the God Who Delivers. Please pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the opportunity to worship you together. Thank you that we could lift up our hearts in praise, that we could speak out with our voices the praises that belong to you. We magnify you and we exalt you in all things. Thank you for bringing us together this day to worship together as a community of believers, to lift you up high and to encourage one another with the truths that you have revealed to us in your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments, you should turn to Exodus 20 if you have your Bibles. And when we consider the Ten Commandments, from a cultural perspective over the past uh, few decades here, the Ten Commandments, again, this is from a cultural, worldly perspective, the Ten Commandments at, at one point were the symbolic expression of our faith in God. So if we think about worshiping God, if we think about um, following after God, then the minds of people would a lot of times turn to the Ten Commandments. They represented what believing in God was all about. So if you wanted to follow God, if you were thinking about God, then you might think of the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments have fallen on hard times, especially in recent days. With the emphasis of the separation of church and state, the Ten Commandments have been removed from the public place. And with the removal of the Ten Commandments from the public place, it is almost as if the Ten Commandments have been removed from people's consciences. Out of mind and out of heart, people don't think about the Ten Commandments anymore. They don't think about God anymore. There is not just a forgetting about him, but there almost seems to be a move towards reject, rejecting him intentionally and saying, I want nothing to do with God. And that kind of seems to be the temperament in which we live in our culture today. There's a famous author, James Patterson. He's written some like over 300 um, novels, uh, a very prolific writer. Well, he wrote a nonfiction book back in 1990-something with Peter Kim called The Day America Told the Truth. And he says this about the Ten Commandments, or some of them anyways, in his book. He says, I don't see the point in observing the Sabbath. I will steal from those who really won't miss it. Kind of a Robin Hood mentality. I will lie when it suits me so long as it doesn't cause any real damage. I will cheat on my spouse. After all, given the chance, he or she will do the same. I will procrastinate at work and do absolutely nothing about one full day in every five. So this is James Patterson and uh, Peter Kim in The Day America Told the Truth. And that's, that was back in 1990, and I think you know, the mentality towards God and, the, and his commands have kind of you know, gotten worse as time has gone on. But anyway, this is the day that we live, and it's no surprise or shouldn't surprise us if people in this world would reject God and would not want to follow him. As we look at Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments, just wanted to bring our attention to some things. Exodus 20 says this, and God is speaking to Moses, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt 
out of the house of bondage. This is the introduction to the Ten Commandments. And in this introduction, we see a couple of things. We see God revealing himself to the people according to this name that he revealed himself to Moses in the bush. The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord God. So he says, I am the Lord God. And then he also expresses to the people in this prologue to the Ten Commandments what he has done, what he had just done. I have brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And this is what God had done for the people. And that is the introduction to the Ten Commandments. And so I'm going to go through this list of Ten Commandments for you. And by the way, here's some uh, Christian trivia. There are three groups of Ten Commandments. You wouldn't have uh, maybe known that, or maybe you're surprised by that. And what I mean by that is... The Jewish Ten Commandments are slightly different from the Protestant and Anglican Ten Commandments, which is slightly different from the Catholic Ten Commandments. So the Catholics, for example, combine what the Protest, the first two, what the, the Protestants identify as the first two, and they divide the last one about coveting into two commandments, things like that. So they're not exactly numbered the, the same throughout every Christian and Jewish uh, denomination. But here we go. It says, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of Yahweh, or take the name of the Lord in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath. Number five, for all of you younger people especially, honor your father and your mother. Yippee! Number six, you shall not kill. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness. And number ten, you shall not covet. Now, if we look at these Ten Commandments, we really can kind of group them into two, two groups here. First of all, there is a focus on God. That is the first four. The first four commandments turn our attention towards God. Don't take his name in vain. Don't have any other idols and so on. That affects or impacts or speaks to our relationship with God. That's the first four. The last six have to do with our relationship with others. Don't steal, don't murder, don't covet, don't, don't lie, and so forth. So you have this, uh, comm- these commandments that, that regulate our relationship with God and regulate our relationship with others. And really, this is what, it's at, what is at the heart of the Ten Commandments, as we will get to in a moment. So the Ten Commandments, we look at them, and then we... Uh, we move on to see a little bit of what the intent of these commandments are and how they are to impact our lives. So we have the Ten Commandments, which spring from the heart, which spring from the heart, or which ought to spring from the heart. Now, what I mean by that is that the Ten Commandments were never meant to be just external guidelines as to how we might live our lives or how we ought to live our lives. The commandments when God gave them were intended to spring forth from what is going on on the inside. They are inwardly motivated for outward conformity. Now, most of the laws, when we consider the ten, are external commands. Don't kill, don't steal, and so on. 
But one of them, the tenth one, is actually an internal command. And that kind of transitions us from this, well, you know, it says don't kill, don't steal, and so on, to what's going on on the inside. And this is the tenth commandment, and it is the only one that is an internal command. It says in Exodus 20, verse 17, it says, you shall not covet. So we're talking about coveting, the desire uh, that uh, is going on inside our hearts. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Do not covet. Now, this idea of internal commandments or an internal springing of the obedience to the commandments of God is reinforced and repeated by Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So when Jesus is confronted or when this person comes to Jesus and he was a religious person, he came to Jesus and he he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a pretty good question. This young man, he knew that Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God and he had a sincere, I believe, desire to understand how it was to be right with God. So he asks God, He asks Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus repeats some of the commandments. And this young, young, rich young ruler, he immediately recognized them as the Ten Commandments. And the reason he immediately recognized them as the Ten Commandments, because during the course of his life, he had a sensitivity towards the things of God, and he replied to Jesus, I have kept all of these things since I was young. Younger. I mean, he was young to begin with here, but I have kept all of these things. But Jesus, in replying to him, went to the heart, this man's heart, and he said to him, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. While this young man kept commands outwardly, there was some deficiency going on inside that really prevented him from having a right relationship with God. While he kept the law externally, internally he was not willing to sell his possessions in order to love his brother. And so he failed to uphold the law. Jesus in other places affirmed the internal nature of the law. In Matthew chapter 5, Verses 21 through 22, it says, and this is Jesus speaking. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. What Jesus has done is he has taken that command, thou shalt not murder, and he has reflected or emphasized the internal nature of the command. Don't think ill of your brother or sister, of the people that are next to you. He goes on in verses 27 through 29. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. 
For it is profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, it's really interesting that he picked the thou shalt not murder and the thou shalt not commit adultery commands to internalize. Because, you know, after all, it's, it's like how many times do we have the urge to, I mean, how many times do we actually carry out murder of somebody, right? I mean, is that something that we really struggle with? I mean, actually doing it? Well, maybe not so much. Not so much. I mean, I feel like strangling my wife every once in a while, but I don't get close to, you know, one and actually killing her or anything. There are other commands like, uh, you know, thou shalt not steal that Jesus could have emphasized here because more people are prone to do that. He could have emphasized thou shalt not covet because that's already an internal kind of issue. He could have emphasized that one, but he didn't. He emphasized the thou shalt not murder and the thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, why would he do that? Well, maybe to show us that these two commandments are not only uh, hard to keep, but they are maybe a lot more common than we are ready to recognize or to admit. For after all, we might not want to, we might not actually murder someone. Hey, but you know, those thoughts of bitterness and resentment and hatred, they just roil and stir and just kind of are, are just boiling on the inside so often towards other people, right? And every time we allow those thoughts and those feelings of anger towards others to just kind of be present, we are on the, the verge of breaking the commandment. And Jesus is actually showing us that we're not only on the verge, but we are actually guilty of breaking it a lot of times. And the adultery one, well, that goes without saying. We had a great lesson about controlling your sexuality in the men's Bible study this morning. And it is so important. It is important for us to, not just men, but all of us, not to desire or to covet somebody else. That is adultery. And maybe we are far more guilty of breaking that command than we are willing to realize or admit. God has always looked at the heart. This is not a surprise to us. He not only looks at our actions on the inside, but he knows what we are thinking and what we are feeling on the inside. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Again, this is going all the way to the Old Testament, and it's nothing new. We all know this. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, and this is in the selection of a king for Israel, and Samuel was the prophet, and Samuel was the one that God had sent to identify the king. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, uh, on the one hand, that's pretty scary. That God knows all of those deep secret things that are going on in my mind and my heart. He knows about them all. And that can be kind of revealing and humbling if we are willing to admit it. But on the other hand, it is kind of a comfort that God looks at my heart and he knows all of my deepest, darkest secrets. Because I don't have to hide anything from him when I come to him. 
I can just come as I am and just lay it all out before him and say, Lord, you know me. You know what I'm dealing with. You know what I'm struggling with. You know my sins, every single one of them. You even know those sins that I'm not yet aware of. You know it all. Therefore, forgive me. And that's the comfort of it. Even though he knows me, he forgives me. And that is amazing. That is the amazing thing about the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Jesus died for all of our sins. All of our sins. Even the ones we aren't aware of. Because I tell you what, a lot of times we are guilty of some things that we have no conviction of. And there are still sins before God. But he knows them. And he died and shed his blood for every single one. What hope, what uh, hope of forgiveness, what hope of deliverance, what hope of taking that burden of guilt that weighs me down, just releasing it. It is found in Jesus Christ. He looks at our heart. He died for it all. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to take a, a moment here. I want to take a moment, and this is going to be a little bit deeper, so just kind of hold on to your hats there. When we were talking about the, the, the manna, you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the giving of the manna, and the instructions for the people of Israel about when they should take the manna was based upon the fourth commandment to honor the Sabbath. So the people of Israel were to go out six days and collect manna each day, the manna that would give them the bread that they needed for that day. But before the Sabbath, they were to collect for two days so that they would not work on the Sabbath. And so they would get enough for two days and that would carry them through past the Sabbath. So that was the giving of the manna and it was patterned after keeping the Sabbath. Now that was before, and this was one of the points that I made, that was before the actual Ten Commandments had been given. And so what we see is the idea of honoring or keeping the Sabbath was not a part or attached so hard to the Ten Commandments, but it was outside of the Ten Commandments, before the Ten Commandments were given. Now that shouldn't surprise us. God is an eternal God, and the things that He requires or expects from us are based upon his character. And so we find his character reflected in the giving of the law. And the truth of the matter is, it's not just the thou shalt keep the Sabbath holy that is found before the giving of the Ten Commandments, but all of the Ten Commandments are found in some form or fashion before the giving of the Ten Commandments. So you have the first and second commandment. Egypt violated each of those two commandments. And the ten plagues that God brought against Egypt was a, a rejection by God and a judgment of God against the Egyptians for worshiping idols and false gods. So we see those two commandments before the giving of the ten commandments. The third commandment, at the burning bush, God reinforced to Moses the need to honor his name. That's before the giving of the ten commandments. The fourth commandment, we just talked about the Sabbath and the manna. The fifth commandment, Ham dishonored his father and was cursed. This is Ham, the son of Noah. This is the, before the giving of the Ten Commandments. The sixth commandment, murder. Moses killed someone while he lived in Egypt and had to flee for his wife. Also, Cain was condemned as a murderer. Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, killed his brother Abel. And it was wrong for him to do that. 
The committing, of, of, the committing of adultery, the seventh commandment. Joseph, when he was in Egypt as a slave in the house of Potiphar, resisted the temptations of Potiphar's wife because it would have been wrong to have her. He would have committed adultery if he had taken her. And so there is the adultery before the giving of the Ten Commandments. The Eighth Commandment, to steal. Well, there's all kinds of examples of that, and you can go back to the Garden of Eden, and God told them not to take of the fruit, and they took of the fruit, which is a form of stealing. Lying. Satan and Eve engaged in a conversation about what God commanded, and lies were spoken about what he had said and about what they could and could not do. Lying. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 44, kind of refers back to this and the murder of Cain and Abel. That incident there, you are of your father the devil. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And then the tenth commandment, do not covet. Eve coveted the fruit from the tree when she should not have. Shechem coveted Dinah and sinned against Jacob's family. And these are just a couple of examples. The point is this, that all of the commandments, they follow the nature of God, and they are in play from the moment God said, let there be light. And so when we look to the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments, we can look to the nature of God. And so we see him in each one. And we could go through each one of these. So, for example, I was talking with somebody uh, before the service, and it says, thou shalt not steal. Well, we don't need to steal, right? Because it is God who provides for us everything. And so we can go through each of the commandments, and we can see the requirement that we have to turn our attention to God and to seek Him, because they are all bound in our relationship with Him. Now, so just because the command is given or in play before the Ten Commandments were given, doesn't make them more important. It just shows that they are a reflection of who he is and our responsibility to have a relationship with him. And so we, we should expect them to be in place. Not only that, and again, just hold on to your seats just for a moment here, but we see that, well, sometimes people will make a distinction between the moral, the ceremonial, and the civil laws, and this is to try to help us uh, have a guide as to which laws we are still responsible for following today and which ones are not so much. And that has its benefits as far as, you know, a system of understanding the laws and, and that um, Uh, so on and so forth there. But it cannot be used as a determination of whether or not a law is still relevant. And to give you an example of that is the idea of sacrifices. So sacrifices are identified as a ceremonial part of the law, and the ceremonial part of the law is no longer relevant to believers because Jesus Christ was a sacrifice, and that is true. But We find the idea of sacrifices before the giving of the law. God killed an animal in order to give covering to Adam and Eve after their sin. Cain and Abel offered sacrifices, and Abel's offering was accepted, while Cain's offering was not. Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob built altars and offered sacrifices. Noah built an altar and offered sacrifices. As a matter of fact, God told him to take some extra animals, besides the two-by-two-by-two, to take some extra animals so that they would have something to sacrifice. 
And when Moses confronted Pharaoh, he said, let the people go that they might offer sacrifices to God in the wilderness. And all of this was before the giving of the laws to sacrifice. And so the question is, if sacrifices are before the giving of the law, shouldn't we be responsible? Aren't we required to offer sacrifices still to God today? Well, I'm not going to be building an altar out there and sacrificing a chicken on it anytime soon. So don't, don't uh, you know, worry about that and all, all of that kind of thing. However, if you search the New Testament, you will see that there is a requirement for believers to still offer sacrifices. Now, not animal sacrifices. And here is your homework. Go look up sacrifice in the New Testament. Do a word search on it and see. There are at least three or four ways in which New Testament believers are supposed to continue to offer sacrifices. And so, here it is. That's your homework. You go look it up and we can talk about it if you, you know, see what you find. But... Here's, here's the point. The point is this. It is not when a law was given, before the Ten Commandments or after or whenever. It's not about when the command was given. It is about the nature of God and the work of Christ. That's it. All of the things that God has expressed If they are given as a law and if they spring from the nature of God, there is some form or some way, some some situation in which it is eternally binding for us to continue to practice. And so we must look to Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the law and we must seek him in all things. He is God and he has given these things to us. As a matter of fact, if we look at Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, this shows the connection about God's law with all of the unbelievers of the earth. It says in Romans chapter 2, when the Gentiles who did not receive the law or did not have the law, when they by nature do the things of the, in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Everyone has been given a conscience by God, and that conscience is one of the means that God has instilled within people to point them towards him. Everybody is bound to the law in some way. Everybody, whether you believe or you don't. So, and, and by the way, this makes everyone guilty before God. So if the law was already in play before the giving of the Ten Commandments, then what are the Ten Commandments all about? And that brings us to our next point here. The Ten Commandments spring from the heart as we live with God and others. Last week, Colin preached on how the covenant that God made with his people was likened unto the marriage covenant that a husband and a wife make towards each other. The two come together and they take their vows and they say, I promise this and I promise that till death do us part, right? Unfortunately, in our day, these words are having less and less 
of an impact or less and le- have less and less of a significance. People are not keeping their marriage vows. Not only that, marriage is kind of uh, going out by the wayside. Who needs to get married anymore? That's kind of the way that our society is going. But the relationship that God has with his people are found in these laws that he has given. And like a marriage covenant, it says, I promise to do this and I promise to do that. And the promises keep the people together. Now, with respect to the Ten Commandments, it is God who is initiating it with us. He is the one who is initiating a relationship with us. And he has said, here, this, these are the guidelines for which you, sh- you shall hold them if you want to keep living with me. This is what is required for us to live together. Not only that, these are the requirements that we have in order to live with each other. And that's why some of these things continue to be relevant in our, the laws of our land today. As a matter of fact, you can go to almost every society in history and they have some form of these commands. Because it is something that he has written on our hearts that is right to reflect how we ought to treat one another. Even James Patterson... In his, uh, let me go back here, James Patterson and, and uh, Peter Kim, when he says, I will steal from those who won't really miss it. Well, there's still the, well, the, as long as they don't really miss it kind of thing. You, you know, it still goes. There's still some kind of, of uh, requirement for getting along, what is right and appropriate of getting along with the others. He says, I will lie if it suits me as long as it, as long as it doesn't cause any real damage. Again, the sensitivity. Even, even though they draw the line in a different place, the sensitivity to the truth is still there. And so you can go, uh, through this, this whole thing. And this is how we learn to live one, with one another, uh, the, the moral codes that guide our relationships. And we know instinctively, as human beings created in the image of God, that have his conscience written on our hearts there, we know instinctively that these things are right and true. And in the end, and this is our last point here, it should cause us to turn to Jesus for salvation. It should cause us to turn to Jesus for salvation. The purpose of the law, the law had its purpose. The law teaches us how to live teaches us how to live with God, teaches us how to live with one another. The law has its purpose in that it restrains people from their sinfulness. As bad as the sin that is that goes on in our society all around us, it is not as bad as it could be or as it might be. Because God is at work restraining people to some degree. And so we see these good purposes in the law, but at the same time, we see that we are unable to keep it, especially when we follow Jesus' precepts that internalize it. Look, it's not enough just not to kill someone. It's not sufficient to harbor hatred for someone in my heart. It's not enough not to just not commit adultery with someone. I mustn't Look with desire in my heart upon someone. And when we take all that internalization of the Ten Commandments into account, we fall short. We are guilty before God. And our guilt should drive us to our Savior.
We don't come to God because we keep the Ten Commandments. Well, we come to God because he died for our sins. He shed his blood for our sins. So we come to him. And when we look at the fulfillment of the law found in Jesus Christ in the New Testament, we see something remarkable. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. A new commandment. How bold was that? To give a new commandment above and beyond the ten that had already been given by the hand of God directly. But there it is. More than that, Matthew chapter 5 or 17, Jesus says, Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So again, in giving a new commandment, He is not intending to destroy the other one, but to fulfill it. And that fulfillment is found in love. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Notice, you have the two divisions of the Ten Commandments found here in this verse. Remember the first four had to do with our relationship to God? Love Him with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And remember the last six commandments had to do with our relationship with other people? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands... Hang all of the law and the prophets. And then in Romans chapter 13, we find the same thing. There's so many verses that express this idea. Here's just another one of them. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Do you see it there? He who loves another has fulfilled the law. And here he kind of fleshes that out. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are, they are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so we see the new commandment, which really isn't a new commandment. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament as well. The commandments rest upon our love, our love for God and our love for others. And so here's the motivation as we consider the Ten Commandments. It is not the Ten Commandments per se that are critical. It is our love that is critical. And so hopefully we will make the decisions to love God more than we love our jobs and not miss coming to church because of our jobs. Maybe we will love God more And choose him rather than wasting our time on the entertainment and media industry all around us. Maybe we will love him more in that way. Maybe we will love the people around us more by choosing to sacrifice ourselves a little bit to help somebody else in need. Maybe we will love those around us more by not allowing ourselves to be angry or resentful or bitter within our hearts. Maybe we will love the ones that are around us more by not 
desiring what they have, but rejoicing that they have it, even if I don't have it. And there are so many other ways that we could express this, but it all comes down to this. Love God with all your, that you have, all that you are, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you do that, you will be walking in the ways of Christ. You will be honoring him and giving glory to him, and you will be blessed in your life. Our deliverance and our ability is found in Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. Seek him first above everything else. Let's stand as we finish our service this morning. I kind of wrote out my points in, uh, in this, uh, this one sentence here. The Ten Commandments spring from the heart as we live with God and others and turn to Jesus for salvation. Let's take that with us as we leave today.